1: This is August 28th, and this is another edition of The Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Every neighborhood has a heartbeat, a place that represents the cultural epicenter of the area at its core. In Boston's historic North End, that place is Boston Barber and Tattoo Company. Boston Barber and Tattoo Company has become home to A-list Boston celebrities like Gordon Hayward, Brad Marshall, Kelly Aaron Baines. Boston Barber and Tattoo is more than just Boston's most well-known corner barbershop. It's also a tourist attraction for hundreds of thousands of people that visit the North End throughout the year. Boston Barber and Tattoo, a North End landmark that represents the cultural epicenter of the area at its core, located at 113 Salem Street in Boston. And welcome to another edition of the Bruins Beat. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy, here on CLNS Media. And as we continue to kind of poke around the Atlantic Division in the offseason here before we gear up for Bruins training camp, which will start very soon. Uh, actually, Captain Skate started at the end of this week. Uh, we're recording here, as we said, on August 27th, and they will be, uh, they'll be skating over at Warrior Arena in Brighton, Mass. Uh, come Thursday, so players are starting to trickle back in and before we know it, the full squad will be there. And, of course, the Bruins will be uh, a split squad for a period of training camp as they head out to uh, China uh, for some preseason games against the Calgary Flames. Let's, let's keep it back here in the Atlantic Division. And on to talk about us, uh, the Atlantic right now with us is my good friend from Hockey Night in Canada and CBC Sports, and that's Kyle Bukaskis. Uh, Kyle, how you doing?
0: Great, Jimmy. How we doing,
1: man? Good, man. How's the summer been?
0: Oh. Well, relaxing first off, which is the most important thing. Uh, the weather's been really good out here. I was able to get back west and, and visit some family for a bit, and uh, relocated back to Ottawa from Montreal with my girlfriend. So that was a, a big, a big hurdle to get over and get everything packed up and unpacked and settled in our new place. So uh, it was, it was relaxing, but but also busy enough too. So
1: it's, it's been been really good so far, man. That's uh, great, man. Now, you you have uh, some roots back there out in Western Canada. Whereabouts? Yeah, so I grew up
0: uh, on Vancouver Island, which is like the west-west the coast uh, of Canada in a small town. Uh, Campbell River is about 35,000 and change, um, home of uh, Rod Brindamore, I guess, for for hockey fans. That'd be the one name that, um, they could, uh, that they'd recognize there, and so, uh, yeah, I was born and raised there, and my family, my folks, still live in the the same house that uh, my brother and I grew up in. So, oh, cool. uh, at least once in the summer, I try to try to get back there and, and to the visit. And anyway, yeah, the weather was terrific there, and, and you know that that part of the world in, in the summertime, it's it's really really tough to beat. So, it's, it's a treat to get back there anytime I get uh, get a chance to. Oh,
1: that's awesome. Now, did you uh, grow up a Canucks fan?
0: Actually, I did not. I I grew up the opposite. I I despised them as a kid. I don't know what it was. Um, I was never, never a Canucks fan. There were some years where I, I tried, I tried to force myself into it, but just, it never happened. I was, I was a big Paul Korea guy as a kid. So when he played with the Mighty Ducks, that was, that was my team there. That that era of, of the Mighty Ducks with, uh, at least they're trying to bring back now with their, their third Jersey going with their, yeah. the retro teeth and, and purple again. So, so that era, I was, I was a huge, huge Mighty Ducks fan. Paul Korea was my hero. So that's, that's where my allegiance was for, for the early part of my childhood.
1: Oh, that's cool. Now, were you able to cover uh, Paul's induction this past year, uh, last year at the Hall of Fame? No, I
0: I wish. I mean, maybe if I, if I'd still lived in, in Toronto, maybe I could have snuck down there, but uh, being in Montreal, it just wasn't in the cards, but I made sure to, to catch the induction speech on, on TV and just with him and, and Timu going in at the same time, man, it was, it was, uh, anyway, it was tough not getting uh, emotional watching it. Just, all the, the memories of, of being a, a young kid going like my first NHL game was, was watching him and, and the ducks play in Vancouver against uh, the Canucks. And he actually, he re- announced his retirement, I think two days before my high school graduation. So he was kind of the, the true definition of a childhood hero for me as that chapter in my life came to a close. So is his, his uh, professional hockey chapter. So um, it was, it was cool to watch from afar, but uh, yeah, if only I could have been there in person and I would have loved to get to his, uh, jersey retirement in in anaheim i think it's a couple weeks into the the season here this year but i don't think i'll make it out there for that either
1: yeah that would be fun and yeah that was something it was so you know after the the break he had taken from hockey uh from the sport just with everything he had dealt with with concussions it it was really it was really moving just to see his speech was amazing and just you know for him to kind of let the sport and let the fans embrace him again I, i thought was really cool
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, and it's, I think he's, there was both the the two major sports networks up here in Canada, TSN and Sportsnet did uh, some lengthy features uh, with him leading up to his induction ceremony about his career. And of course, the the biggest hit that everyone recalls and the one that Scott Stevens caught him there coming across the ice in game six of the 2003 Stanley Cup final. And um, you know, you could just tell he was a guy that, that saw hockey as, as an art form, right? He was such a, a gifted sk- skater, such a beautiful playmaker, and a passer, and a puck handler. And, you know, these types of hits that he sustained multiple times, Gary Suter, another one just before the 98 Olympics, in, in Nagano, you know, the captain out of, of, of tournament. It just didn't – it never made sense to him. Like, that wasn't the game of hockey to him. That's not how, how he knew it. And, and I think, obviously, there was – such a, a degree of, of frustration uh, in, in that term because he just that's not how we saw the game and the fact that these hits were were causing him significant injuries were costing him time away was costing him you know years uh, off of, of his career um, you know you can understand why when he finally retired he wanted to, to distance himself for, for a game and from the game and and just go do his his own thing for for a while but I think it's it's great that, that he's back in in the community the hockey community now and that he's coming to events uh you know being inducted in the hockey hall of fame and, and agreeing to be a part of a night in, in anaheim where his number number will go up in in the Raptors because you know i think the game is just better it. he's such a, a, you know, a brilliant mind and obviously such a talented player when when he was in in his prime and so to have him still associated with with the game of hockey and and for the, the hockey world to embrace him like that one again once again I think it's, it's really a special thing
1: to have yeah for sure and I'll tell you he would have been something in today's game too with the rule changes and the way the game oh, is totally. played now oh with the you know I mean everything's based on speed he just would have he would have dominated uh just as he did before but even more so now but let's get into this Atlantic division right now and you know last week we had Mitch Melnick on from TSN 690 in Montreal we talked a little Habs we've uh We've spoken to uh, Don Brennan from the uh, Ottawa Sun uh, about the Senators. Uh, We've also had uh, some Leafs talk on, uh, you know, but we haven't looked at one team, and that's the team that finished atop the Atlantic Division last year and really uh, I, I think to the surprise of many didn't actually make it to the Stanley Cup final. They, they lost to the eventual Stanley Cup champs in the Capitals, and that's the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, Kyle, you look at this team right now, and they still—I mean, I, I don't think many could argue that. I, you know, I think they're the team to beat in this division once again, and, and they look as they could be geared up for not only repeating as division champions this year, but also contending for the cup again, and maybe for many years to come. If you look at the way their contracts are set up.
0: Well, that's that's the thing, right? Like, their Steve Irwin has done such a good job in in that regard, and and the way he's handled some of his some of his contracts with his his star players and um, the fact that that many of them are signed long-term. And then you've got some guys like, I mean, what a coming out party, even though they didn't go to the Stanley Cup final, like a lot uh, would have predicted, as you mentioned, but what a coming out party that was for a guy like Braden Point who you know, you, you watched there in in that Boston series, there were a lot of games where you could argue that he was one of the better players on the ice uh, in in blue and white against, against the Bruins, despite being one of the smaller guys in, in stature. I mean, he had, he had a brilliant year there for, for them in the regular season and then took it to another level in the postseason. So, you know, he's he's one piece that you can then shuffle around in your second and third line depending on uh, how things are going throughout the year. And you still got all your top guys with the Stamkoses and, and the Kucherovs and, and the likes and the Hedmans on the back end. And, you know, Mikhail Sergachev played his first, full year in the NHL and yes of course when you go into the fancy stats you can look at the fact that you know he played a lot of his minutes sheltered a lot of offensive zone starts not against the number one lines on the other teams and you know was getting time on the second power play units to pad some of his stats and in, in that way when they had some really gifted offensive players surrounded by him but I mean this is a kid I mean he was 19 years old Jimmy making his, his rookie you know in, his rookie campaign and and he's only just going to get better, right? This is a, he's an elite skater. He has got an elite hockey sense. And, and you can tell, I know there is, you know, one guy who does a lot of work around the NHL draft and, and talking to junior clubs and and scouts and management. Um, And I I know in his draft year, when, when the Canadians took him in the first round in 2016, he believed that he was the best defenseman taken in that draft. And it'll be really interesting to see now as he starts to enter his 20s. How, what kind of exponential growth he's going to have. And, you know, I guess the big question is, for a guy like Andre Vasilevsky, who was absolutely lights out the first three quarters of the season, and, you know, was it a heavy workload, the amount of games that he played? Did he start to get a little bit fatigued? He at least admitted it as much with about a month left to go before the playoffs that he was starting to get a little bit tired. So how do they manage his minutes and the amount of starts that, that he gets? Uh, next year that'll be something to watch as as well. And but uh, by and large, I'm I'm with you. I think they're they're the team to beat here right now. Obviously, Toronto's done some really good things. to, to bolster up their offense with the addition of of John Tavares, and you have to think that the Bruins are just going to take enough a nice uh, you know a really good surprise of of a year that they had uh, in rocketing up the, the standings and and being a, a real a real threat in, in the Atlantic Division the Eastern Conference as a whole for the better part of the, the second half of the season and, and into the playoffs, but uh, my, my money's on Tampa. I think they are, they are built to win now and uh, they've got the, the horses to once again go deep into the playoffs and maybe one step further and into the Stanley Cup Final and, and contend for, for a Stanley Cup here
1: again. And uh, You know you, you brought up Eisman in the beginning there and, and the job he's done with the contract. To me, it's amazing, and, and hey, this this could change before the season starts, and, and I'm gonna look like an idiot for saying it, but uh, you know, it's amazing at this point that he's still been able to keep the likes of a a Killorn or you know a Paquette, a Palat, uh Brayden Point, guys like that. Where not that they're bad players at all, they're great players, but you thought maybe when he signs Kucherov and he, he he does some of the other contracts he had, he might have to let go of one or two of them just to accommodate the bigger contracts. And somehow he's still making it work right now. And I think that's because of what you just said there, because he really wants to win now. And he thinks he's got the ingredients to do it there. But uh, you wonder going forward, will he be able to maintain that? Does it like a Tyler Johnson have to be shown the door just for cap issues?
0: Right, I think that, and I guess that's that's something to watch too, depending on on how uh, on how the the year progresses for them. You know, I, I thought it was interesting too because when the rumors were out there swirling, I guess around the draft and, and leading up to July first, and and even after July first, about how there was the reports that looked like Eric Carlson was headed for Tampa. or At least that was the most likely destination for him to be traded to at that time. And I know because I guess he couldn't speak on it directly but when Eisner was kind of asked about taking on you know a, a big contract as far as trying to improve his team he said it would be tight given their salary cap situation but they'd find a way to make it work um, so you have to give the guy credit for the way he's working to this point and it seems like he's a guy that if there was somebody out there no matter his cap net no matter their salary situation that he believes is a fit for making his team better he's going to find a way to get the job done.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, you said, I think Vasilevsky is a good one to bring up there, too. Kind of reminded me, I mean, Tuukka Rask here in Boston, that's been one of his Achilles heels is just being overplayed and being worn down by the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that right now. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, as they go into the season, uh, Louis Domingue would be their backup. And he he actually went on a good little stretch uh, for them for a bit when he did play. So who knows? Maybe he can uh, do the job there. We'll see. Let's keep bouncing around this division right now, though, and a team I haven't discussed yet here in the Bruins beat this summer has been the Florida Panthers, and this is this is just an interesting team because, I mean, we all remember how they looked like they had finally turned a corner. They looked like they were on track uh, to starting to contend for playoffs and, and, and be a regular in that mix there. Uh, obviously, they had Gallant as their coach, and then they screwed it up and blew it up, and... Everything just hit the proverbial bleep fan there, and it was just a mess. And I, I right. think, you know, you look at them totally. now, and I think they're they just starting to come out of that. They're one of the hottest teams down the stretch, but they, it was yeah. just a little too little too late. But you look at that roster now, and you look at the addition of, uh, of Mike Hoffman, do you think this is a team that can now contend for one of those final playoff spots, or are they still maybe a year or two away?
0: I think you, you have to consider them to, to be in the mix. They could be the one team in the Atlantic. Uh, I know we were talking about before we came on here, Jimmy. They could be a bit of a, a bit of a surprise here. You know, you, you can't you can't really put uh, too much stock into certainly the Ottawa Senators. I'm not sure Montreal is is quite there yet for, for contending for, for a playoff spot unless Mark Burchman has something up his sleeve between now and when the regular season gets underway. But Florida, the team. I mean, you go down the list with the the Barkovs and the Huberdos and the Ekblads, you know, the names that have been talked about for a while now that are now into the primes of of their careers. And you mentioned the addition of of Mike Hoffman. Of course, the first question is how are all the off-ice issues that uh, seem to to come to light uh, towards the end of his time in Ottawa and ultimately led to his departure out of Ottawa? Is that going to have any effect? With uh, his time with with the Panthers, but uh, by and large, you know, this is a guy who is a uh, above twenty goal scorer each year. Each full year, he's he's been in the league, right? So there, you've got more offense there out of out of him. He is a guy that, uh, when when he's put in the right position, can can find a way to to break a game open with his speed and his shot. Um, you have to believe that that this is a, a team that it seems like you're you're right. They they went off the course there a couple of years ago, and it seems like they. Set themselves a couple of years behind, but uh, with the way they pushed towards the playoffs and, and tried to stay right in the hunt up until the very end last season, you know, you do have to wonder uh, how, how close they are to making a real push and, and getting into one of those wild card spots. Um, I guess the big question too is, you know, goaltending, right? And and what, how many, how much. Legs left as a guy like Roberto Luongo have, and and you go down the list from there, and, and James Reimer and and the rest, and how much goaltending can they get uh, when they need it? But uh, I think you know, up front they've they've got the offense. It just comes down, I think, in their in their own zone, and how are they going to defend? And, and going forward, uh, is it the team that can finally finally push for a spot? I I do think they're right there.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there, and you know you look too at this defense, which. Could be. I mean, if, if everything sort of came together at the right time, there's a lot of skill on that D. I mean, you, obviously you've got Aaron Eckblad who I consider one of the best in the league, but you know, you've got up and comers who maybe are ready to take the next step in uh, a guy like Mike Matheson, who I think is going to be a yep. seven eventually. Um, you look at, uh, I mean, let's not forget they got a veteran like Keith Yandel or Petrovic there. Um, you've got Ian McCaution who could be ready to take a step there. So, They've got a good mix of, of youth and veterans on that D. And then you mentioned the uh in Reimer Between the Pipes. And let's not forget, they actually brought in Michael Hutchinson uh, via free agency, who, you know, if you look at his stats over the last few years, I mean, I know he didn't end up getting the starting job in Winnipeg, but he was pretty solid when he played. Um, it'll be interesting to see if somebody's the odd man out there. Uh, but still, I mean, it, yeah, I'm with you. This is a team I think definitely keep an eye on. They could sneak up on people, Uh, and we've seen that before where teams just missed the playoffs, and they have sort of a hot stretch down the end there, but they just missed. But they're able to carry it over into the next year, so we'll see what happens there. You mentioned the Senators and the Canadians. We've already addressed them on on the Bruins beat here, but I I just want to get your take because you are in Ottawa on the Sens for a bit, and, you know, everybody – I mean, I'm with – I don't see them doing much. I I think it's going to be a tough year there. Who knows what's going to happen with Eric Carlson. We know the trade talks have picked up again for him in the last week, reportedly, uh, or last two weeks, rather. And then, you know, just the mess they went through in the dressing room and then with the front office. But it's almost like sometimes, you know, in the NHL or even just in sports, it's these teams that everyone just looks at and don't even think about and they're, you know – out of nowhere, and I think the Senators two years ago are a perfect example where they just they catch lightning in a bottle. Is there any hope that they could do that again? And could the fact that Matt Duchesne, if Duchesne and Carlson are on the roster when the season starts, and let's say they make it at least to the deadline, could, could the fact they're playing for contracts for next summer, could that help the Senators instead of hurt them? Or is it going to be a cloud, you think, that sort of hangs over them in a bad way?
0: Well, I guess, you know, let's let's play the, the what-if game. And, and there is no trades trade between now and, and the start of the season. And Eric Carlson is still the captain. And, you know, I mean, I don't think Mark Stone's going going anywhere, anytime oh, soon. Yeah, that's right, Mark Stone. So yep. he's, he's another guy that could be UFA in, you know, on July 1st next year. But he yep. just re-signed with the team. So can't see them, him being traded anytime soon. Matthew Shane is, is still there. All You know, there are three top players who are all set to be UFAs next July. Uh, if they're all there to start the season, you know, it'll, I guess it'll come down to what does their first month look like in the regular season? What kind of success do they have? That'll determine whether that's a cloud hanging over their head or maybe perhaps uh, the fact that they're playing for contracts that helps them out a little bit. though. So, but I still think, Jimmy, like I just don't think they've got enough of them um, in goal and up front. There's, I just don't think there's enough of a supporting cast there to, to really make them a team. I mean, if they do catch lightning in a bottle, I'm just not sold on the fact that, that there is enough there and what i'm really curious about for what ends up happening to, to ottawa this year is you know what's 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 the first plan of attack what's the first move for for pierre dorian here what is priority number one you know i mean it seems like like the randy lease has somewhat gone away because he has stepped down of course his his legal issues are still being presided over in in the courts and and that isn't over yet but he has stepped away and stepped down from the team, no longer with the organization, and now you've got to fill his void in a front office that's one of the thinnest in the National Hockey League. So when does that get rectified? Um, in terms of the three best players who I mentioned, Eric Carlson uh, being the name that has been bandied about for really, you go back, you can probably go back to December when the first questions were kind of being asked, would would the Senators really consider trading their captain? And it seems like it's just heated up more and more in the month since and is that going to finally happen between now and the start of the regular season what's going to happen with Matt Duchesne what's going to happen with Mark Stone who was awarded a one-year deal and can sign an extension in January of 2019 is he going to be moved are they going to re-up with him is he going to be part of the solution what's going to happen there what's Brady Kachuk going to do this year where is he going to end up playing like there's just so many questions around this team so much uncertainty what's going to be priority number one for Pierre Dorian and how will the dominoes then fall from there? I think that's what I'm really curious about uh, for me in terms of what the Senators are going to look like this year because it seems like you know, the on-night success isn't going to come just yet. It looks like they're still a few years away from that. And kind of how how he chooses, how the general manager chooses to go after all the other decisions he has to make could perhaps then set the course for what the future of this franchise looks like three, four, five, eight years down the road.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you something. I, I do not envy Pierre Dorian right now, man. What, what, a, I mean, right. if you just look back at the calendar year from, you know, last year at this time to now, what he has gone through, I mean, what a mess. It's just, it, it, and I, you can't blame all of it on him. I mean, it's not his fault that the whole Hoffman Carlson thing took place. I mean, he can't control that. And it's. He can't control what his assistant GM does when he's outside the rink. I mean, it's just what a perfect storm of, uh, of just chaos for this poor guy. So hopefully, he's had yeah. a breather. You know, like I hope he, I hope he was able to get away this summer and kick back on a lake somewhere and uh, and throw a few back with his family or so. I mean, geez, what a tough tough year for him, huh?
0: And it, totally. And, and the other thing too, Jamie, i said this before. Like, so it's just just over a year ago, probably a year and a couple of weeks removed from Brian Murray passing away after his uh, fight with colon cancer and I think it really was it wasn't talked about much and uh, I think it really can't be said enough about how much of a factor he was whether he was the general manager or later when he just stepped down to more of a senior advisor role when Pierre first took office as general manager of the team how much of a factor he was how much of a buffer he was between the owner and everyone else underneath and within the organization to keep everything kind of under control because you look at some of the chaos and the things that have been said out in the paper and now the anger that the fan base has towards ownership, towards the way things being run that have happened since Brian Murray has, has passed on. I think it really can't be said enough how, how much of a factor, and again, buffer he was in keeping everything kind of under control. It wasn't perfect all the time, but he was, did a really good job in, in keeping things kind of all treading in in the right direction even when times were tough and and some big names were were leaving town
1: yeah he was he was a class act man I always enjoyed speaking with him and whether it was uh you know for an interview or just a couple times at the draft just talking hockey with them man he was just one of one of those lifers around the game and uh he, he definitely has been sorely missed in so many ways um another team Kyle that you know we haven't really touched on and I actually, you know, we were talking in the beginning about who you grew up cheering for, and th- this team was my second favorite team because I was such a big Steve Eisman fan. of the Detroit Red Wings, and you know they have just they've fallen on some hard times here, and, and I, they are one of those teams where I just don't see a direction. Like, I, they're kind of in that purgatory stage, right? We're like, okay, are you rebuilding? Are you retooling? Or you, you know, what's going on with the Red Wings? I mean, what's your take on this team? And, and where they're headed.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, they had to, first off, they had to be been thrilled that they wound up with Philip Sedina at the draft. Because I don't think they were going that's into so. that today thinking that he would still be available. So that certainly helps. Um, I believe, if I heard correctly earlier today, it looks like the expectation is that Henrik Zetterberg will not be back this correct. year, I believe. And that's I, huge. So, I mean, that's, 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 significant guy, although, I mean, his best years were behind him. I think just having, not having that presence there is something that uh, will be a significant adjustment as well. But I mean, look, you know, they're, they're a team that, that tried to, to squeeze every drop of that, that run of going to the playoffs every year. And they sacrifice first round draft picks at the trade deadline to acquire rental players to help them get over the hump and get into the postseason. And, and then now they're feeling the the repercussions of that and being a team that, uh, you know, as you said, are kind of stuck in the middle. They've got, they've got some good talents. Uh, their defense is, is a bit of an issue. You know, goaltending has, has been an issue with Peter Morazic. He wound up not being the, the goalie that uh, they had hoped him to, hoped he would be. And you know, Jimmy Howard is now in the back nine, I think, of, of his career too, or at least getting close to it. So uh where is his, their direction, I'm I'm not sure. And uh, you know, for, for a guy like Jeff Blashell, the head coach, and uh you know, what is what is his vision, what is what is he where does he see this team going and, and how does he plan to move on here and try to take a step forward after just kind of being mired in mediocrity the last couple of years and and not quite to the standards that you know so many uh, at least of, of my generation grew up knowing the red wings to be um, you know where, where do they go from here I think it's, it's a great question I, I think for if you're you're in this kind of position the, the best way is just to be patient to, to put a lot of time and effort in, in developing the, the prospects that you do have in in your system and if somebody comes around where perhaps it's the right fit for, for making a deal for that you think you can help your team for a long time, then, then you do it. But I think for them, you know, you got you to gotta stay patient. Similar to Montreal, they've got some big names signed to long, long, long-term contracts. But around that, there, there isn't a whole lot going on just yet. They're a team that's still a couple years away. And I think Detroit's kind of in that same boat too, where, you know, you have to love a guy like Dylan Larkin on your team and getting a guy again, like Philip sidney at the draft. But uh, I think you do have to be patient for for a little bit here and and see what kind of comes along and and what you can do in in developing uh, the prospects that you do have in-house.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. It's going to be interesting. You know, you kind of feel for guys like Larkin, you know. I mean, it's a kid that I think was uh, on the rise. Now he's sort of stuck in this purgatory stage that we referenced there. But um, that's a great pit, though. I mean, they did get to the and that will help them a lot. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I was a little surprised that you know Blasville was brought back. I, you know, I'm not I'm not saying he's a bad coach or anything. I just I was surprised, and, and when he is brought back, maybe that tells me that they are going to exercise patience. So uh, we shall see right. there. You know, we'll see what happens there. Hey, before we let oh, we we can't forget the Buffalo Sabers, and that that's another interesting team, Kyle. That yeah. there's a lot of good young talent there, uh, ready to blast out, and man. I think Jack Eichel, you know, he's shown a lot of frustration. He's been very open about it. Uh, He hasn't been happy with the way things have gone in his first few years. I'm very interested to see how this kid channels that frustration. And does he make it a positive and take it out on opponents? Or does he sort of hang his head? And I I think that's going to be a huge factor uh, in this upcoming season and obviously the future for the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'll go back to – sure you remember the comments Ryan O'Reilly made at their locker cleanout day at the end of last season and how he was kind of saying how you just, you know, you you, you lose your, your, almost your, I'm paraphrasing, but you kind of lose your love and passion for, for the game at times when things were going as, as poorly as they they were for, for them and as, as they have been for the last number of years in, in Buffalo. And, I, you know, I just couldn't help but wonder what what kind of environment that dressing room was to, to walk into day after day these last couple of years when, when they knew that even though they were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs yet, it was, you know, the middle of January and really, really realistically they they knew that they had no shot at at getting in and they were nowhere close just yet. So um, I guess, you know, how how do you go about turning that around and and who's going to be the driving force behind it you know is it going to be a guy like jack eichel could be all the talent in in the world to be a a difference maker in the game and and certainly seems like he's been given you know with his long-term deal given the keys to be a a difference maker and and to be the face of the buffalo franchise for for many years to come and um you know and as you said a lot of young talent surrounding him being a guy that's just entering the prime of his career as well so uh they're another interesting ones too i i thought last year they could have been uh a sneaky team, as far as taking uh, some steps forwards and, and being a you know putting a scare into the rest of the Atlantic Division. Maybe that year is, is this year. Uh, you know, you just will have to we'll have to wait and see because you know ever since they got Jack Eichel, I think, and the young guys that they already had around them, and now I guess the ones that they have uh, taken in since. The question is more, you know, when, kind of not if, and it's been a lot of when, 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 year to year to year. And uh, maybe this year is the year that they finally take a step forward because for that fan base, the suffering for so long. It's, uh, it's long overdue for them.
1: And I think, too, Kyle, don't you – I mean, I don't know if you'll agree, but even if they're just a team that's in the mix at the end of the season and they don't make it, but at least there's some – there's excitement all the way up to, you know, the first and second right. week of April, I think the fans will be okay with that. They just want to – Right. They just want to have some there's fun. There's a reason right. to come to the ring. Yeah. And, and people there's don't there's understand – That's a, you know, I think obviously Buffalo as a city kind of gets a bad rap and maybe in some regards rightfully so, but, uh, you know, that's a very good hockey base there. You've got obviously the Canadas right there. They're dying to just watch a a fun team. It doesn't necessarily have to be a contender, but I think it would be great to just see that market pick up again because I'm telling – you know, just traveling there over the years uh, to cover the Bruins when they play there, that's just a fun city to watch hockey and they've got good knowledgeable fans. And, you know, I'm just pulling for that team to to become a hockey city again. So we'll see what happens. But finally, Kyle, before I let you go, just your take on the local team here, obviously, and being on the Bruins beat, um, you know, my, my way I've been looking at the Bruins all summer and telling people is don't be surprised if they take a little step back and people, of course, get a little upset hearing that, but they didn't, They didn't do too much. I think John Moore was a solid addition. I don't know how solid he'll be, Um, but they didn't do too much in the offseason. And the other thing I worry about, and I'm not saying they're going to be horrible. I think they they make the playoffs, but or maybe they just miss. I don't know. They're going to be sort of – I think they're going to be in that middle pack there because I think when you have a group of young players like that that come out and bust out the way they did last year, the rest of the league studies a bunch of video. They catch up to what their weaknesses are, and they go after them that second year. And that's what I'm going to be very interested to see is how those rookies who excelled last season can handle having more of a a bullseye on them, so to speak. What's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, with you. I mean, I guess as as a young player, you you start to learn after one good year how difficult it is to to be that good year after year after year, right? So um, I just – I know watching them – last year and, and covering them for, for two rounds of playoffs against Toronto and then against Tampa, uh, you know, I just say they, they, they ran out of gas there against against the Lightning, but um, I, I just, I was always so impressed with, A, how fast they were, how physical they were, um, you know, how how hard they were to play against. They they had all the facets going, and as this game has gone a lot more speed and skill base, they have that, but, uh, you know, like I, I love their fourth line when it was intact and, and playing well. I thought they, they had the ability to to change to a change game around with a couple of uh, huge impactful shifts and um, guys like Jake DeBrusque who I thought played brilliantly for for Boston in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I was a big big fan of, of watching him play and, you know, it seems like he's only going to get better but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, the, the avoiding the sophomore slump is always a, a big storyline to follow especially when you've got like a, a large number of, of rookies that had, uh, you know, a good amount of success year one for one team and now it's trying to do it again. I mean, I guess the good the good thing they do have is you've got a, a stud in, in Charlie McAvoy on the back end that that looks like he's he's nothing nothing uh, nothing'll phase him. Um, you've got uh, one of if not the best forward lines going in, in hockey, and you know we'll we'll see who how far that that takes them. But uh, I I was curious, Jimmy, like as a as an uninformed Canadian, but nevertheless curious, uh, with the Red Sox doing what they've done this year, week one of the NFL just weeks away.
1: Uh, like, how much buzz are the Bruins getting uh, in Boston these days? It, it, it's interesting That's you bring that it up. It, it's very interesting. Bernard, they actually released a survey uh, late last week. There was a survey done by a local company uh, on Boston sports. And, you know, there all sorts of polls that they did with fans, um, you know, and, and one of them was, you know, where the teams were uh, rank, the pro sports teams here in terms of, you know, Buzz and visibility and, who and you know, just fandom. And the Bruins, for the first time, I guess, in seven years since they won the Cup in 2011, they dropped below the Celtics. And they are now – they were almost basically tied with the revolution. So they fell in the rankings. And, and, yeah, there there hasn't been much buzz at all around the Bruins this summer. It's been very interesting. And even now, you know, a lot of the players – uh, a lot of them stuck around and trained around here and have been doing events around here and still not that much buzz yeah. around them. But I'll be interested to see, like I said, uh, the captain skates are starting at the end of this week here in Boston and then, you know, they'll start to trickle in for training camp. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But that's a great point by you. I mean, I, I would think that the real buzz probably won't start until November or December for the Bruins. And that, that's normal, especially if the Red Sox are – are geared up for a run and they do make one, but uh, it's too bad because I, I think this is arguably the most exciting team in Boston. I, I really do. And I'm not just saying X, I'm a hockey guy. I mean, you just listed one of the main reasons that Charlie McAvoy to me is going to be within the next two to three years, he's going to be one of the best defensemen in the league. And that's, right. you know, that's, I love his, his, if I don't know if you saw his end of the season quotes last year, and he said to us, Kyle, he says, I want to be the next Drew Doughty, and I know I can. And when you hear a young kid like that right. saying, I love it. I love it, and I think he can too. Totally. You know, so we'll see. Stuff. We'll see what happens, my friend. Well, listen, I'll let you enjoy your last uh, moments of summer here, and uh, hope, I don't know how hot it is up in Ottawa where you are right now, but we're, we're in the midst of another heat wave here. So hopefully stay cool and uh, do some relaxing, and, and we'll see you around the rinks, buddy, all right?
0: Yeah, looking forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on today.
1: Always a pleasure, my friend, and I, yeah, I definitely look forward to seeing you again around the rinks. And uh, w- can we tell our, our listeners where they can find you on Twitter? Yes, at, at SNKyleBukoskis. The last name is a bit
0: of an adventure, but uh, <laughs> a little searching, a little searching of hard work, uh, it's, it's findable.
1: <laughs> you know what? But you, I bet you understand when people ask for the spelling there. When I get asked how do you spell when I get asked how do you spell Murphy, I'm like, all right, forget you, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's probably the most common one of the most common names in the world. It's it's kind of funny when somebody asks me how to spell it, but so be it. Anyhow, listen, my friend, have a good one, and thanks for joining us here on the Bruins Beat. All right. Dude, awesome, thank you. All right, that's Kyle Bukaskis. Join us here on the Bruins Beat. We will talk to you next week. I'm Jimmy Murphy. Have a good one.